Well, good evening everybody. Welcome once again to the webcast. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, I'm just going to try and drag in this post that somebody has just posted um, on the live feed. Um, how about that? There you go. Barry and Anne are on their way home uh, back to Toronto in Canada. They're on the plane. They've got internet access sort of <laughs> and they've just posted that um from up there somewhere <laughs> as he says literally um seated in heavenly places i'm just going to try this as well uh, so just bear with me this is an experiment um and i want to see if this works uh because this this is them on the plane right now. Just a few moments ago, um, he sent me a picture of the two of them, uh, 30,000 feet, uh, somewhere across the middle of the Atlantic. And there they are. Um, so, um, yeah, what you can't do these days. <laughs> he was hoping to join the live feed, but I thought that was a little bit adventurous with the... Um, uh, relatively low speed of internet but there we go somewhere up up there Barry and Anne are on their way home we've had a wonderful time the last two weeks with Barry and Anne over in Europe we did a conference uh, as many of you will know in the Netherlands and then this last weekend we've done uh, a conference in Gloucester in the UK Sunday night and Monday morning we we're up in Bridge North with Mike and Sue, Norman and Johanna and the team up there. Just a wonderful, wonderful time. And then, of course, the last couple of days, Barry and Anne have been staying with us uh, in our home. So we, we've enjoyed having them. Uh, we're missing them. The house is quiet, but <laughs> um, I'm sure they're really looking forward to going home to their family. But yesterday, um, Barry and I were playing around, as we often do, and we did a 10-minute live webcast, um, just, just because we could, and to be in the same room. But we also did a recorded message. Um, so I'm just going to play that for you all now. Well, here we are, here the we two are. of us. In the same room. Almost the first. <laughs> yes. Well, the first for this in, in 13 years of doing webcasts, that's yeah. for sure. Although we did do a webcast once before from your house. Okay. So okay. this is the first time we're in Here. the same room in my house. Yes. And this is in Abingdon in the United Kingdom, just FYI. Yeah. And Barry and Anne have been over here for a couple of weeks. We've been in the Netherlands. And then we've been in Gloucester and Bridgenorth. Yes, and I'd say Gloucester, but we're, we're working on his accent. But we've had an amazing time. I mean, this has just been great. And, you know, I wish I could be with you guys tonight. Uh, Mark's doing an amazing message on the Tree of Life, and uh, I wish I was here to cheer you on. Uh, who knows? Maybe if I can get Wi-Fi on the plane, I will do it. But, uh, yeah, I, just, I think we just wanted to say hi, and believe it or not, we're here together, and I, di I just want to say, Mark, Mark has shared this before, and that's just meeting people who've been on the webcast, and then this last two weeks, you know, we've met so many people who have connected face-to-face -face with us, and I, I just so appreciate 
everybody that's that not only the ones we met, but the ones that you, you're just so faithful on these webcasts. We just so appreciate it. And, and it's so great to be in the same room. It's it awesome. Is, right? It is. Yeah. We have had such fun. We've had um, two weeks uh, doing all these events, but we've just had a lot of fun enjoying one, being together, yeah. going for walks together, talking about stuff. And uh, it's just a shame Barry and Anne's flight coincided with yeah. the webcast. Otherwise, the whole thing would have been live together. But hey, yeah. This is about as good as it gets. Yeah, we'll um, take it, and then maybe you know, you never know. The next one may be coming from our house. So keep hey, keep keep uh, us posted. So yeah, um, safe journey. Yes, we thank you. Might see you from forty thousand feet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, see you guys. Have a good webcast. So there you are. That was just a little message we we put together yesterday, um, just to show that we were actually in the same room. Um, anyway, what you can't do with technology. So there we go. Um, safe travels to Barry and Anne. And next week, uh, the two of us will be back together. They're still here, he says. They're still here. They're on, <laughs> they're on the webcast. That's a first. This is definitely a first, I think, having somebody watching the webcast from, the, um, from an airplane. That is amazing. So I don't know how long Barry's internet will last, but... Um, great Barry that you're you're with us and uh, and Anne too um, anyway um, tonight <laughs> tonight I'm just talking uh, carrying on the the little series I'm doing on the two trees um, last week I talked about the tree of knowledge of good and evil and this week uh, talking about the tree of life which I have to say I find slightly more exciting than the tree uh, of knowledge of, of good and evil. Uh, so if you, you'll probably remember last week we had the, the little PowerPoint presentation on the side there, really just highlighting the fact that there, there are these two trees in the garden. You know, Genesis 2, verse 9, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you remember, I highlighted it's the knowledge of good and evil, but it's the experience of life itself. It's not the knowledge of life, but it's life itself. And that's what we're going to explore a little bit together today. Um, we, you, you'll probably remember we talked about Genesis two fifteen and 16, where the Lord God took the man put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord said to the man, you're free to eat from any tree, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will surely die. And we saw how eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil led to death, uh, death of relationship between Adam and his wife, but more importantly, death of relationship between humanity and our heavenly father and what we ended up doing was creating a problem which we tried to solve ourselves through our own effort our own knowledge our own ability whereas the gospel is that there is a problem but the answer is provided in jesus and we saw last week how we took on satan's fallen corrupted wisdom the basis of which is i am 
And we see that so much in, in, in human nature and society. You know, it's all about me. I am, I will, I can, uh, and so on. And that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, keeps us separate from the Father. It, it, it causes us to question who he really is because we're living from this corrupted wisdom which is rooted on self. And that deception that Satan has created has been to prevent us from having intimacy with the Father. So that's kind of a little basic summary of what we talked about last week. And if you, you missed it or you'd like to look at it again, the, the video is on my website, um, maybe on Barry's, but it will certainly be on Barry's website within a couple of days once he gets back home and gets everything up to date. But it's, it's on my website. Um, and if you missed it, I'd really encourage you to, to, to look at that because it provides a foundation for where we're going um, this evening. So I want to talk about the tree of life tonight because, you know, there's two trees in the garden and we don't just want to focus on the one that we call the wrong tree. <laughs> we want to focus now on, you know, the right tree, the tree of, of life. Um, we talked last week about how the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the upward flow from mankind trying to reach God through his own effort, trying to decide what is right and trying to focus on doing that, deciding what is wrong and trying desperately hard not to do that. So, um, you know, that's the upward flow, the struggle uh, of the upward flow from mankind trying to get back into relationship with the with the trinity what we're going to look at tonight is the downward flow of life from heaven to us that's the tree of life the tree of life is the downward flow of life and i want us to see as we go through this session that it really is possible for us to live from the tree of life see that would have been automatic before the fall but the fall separated us from the Father. And so we need to be, um, if you like, born again back into our true identity. And that's the gospel, isn't it? That's John 3.16. You know, that, and the story of Jesus talking to Nicodemus. You know, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom. So it's that rebirth that brings us back into relationship with the Father. See, even, you know, once, once we're born again, you know, once, once we become Christians, um, the influence of the tree of knowledge of good and evil can be so strong because it's, it's become so rooted not only in us but in, in the whole of mankind. You know, the influence of that tree can still affect us. It can still influence us. It can still shape how we live. And it can prevent us living from the spirit of, of life, which is in us because we are in Christ Jesus. And so this is where we have this struggle, you know, and we're going to talk about this struggle a little bit uh, this evening. But it's like we've got the potential to do so much more. But yes, yet this wretched tree of the knowledge of good and evil prevents us from living freely 
from the spirit of life that is, is in us. And so what we end up doing is we end up settling for a life, um, living a life as a slave or living a life as an orphan. And that seems to be, sadly, the hallmark of a, uh, many Christians. And probably even we can identify that in our own life, that, you know, we've, we've lived for years. Yeah, we know we're born again. Yeah, we know we're Christians. Yes, we know we'll go to heaven. But there's something that's rooted in us of orphan-hearted ways. And the good news is we can be free of that and we can live with the downward flow of life coming into our heart. See, that, this was foretold by Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, he writes very, very prophetically of what is going to happen through the coming of Jesus and through his death and resurrection. And so in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it says this. It says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you, cause you to walk to, to follow my decrees, to be careful to keep my laws. See, there's a prophetic promise that the spirit of the Father, the Holy Spirit, will come into us and motivate us or cause us to walk in his ways. You know, and I think that's what we long for, isn't it? We long to be able to walk in his ways. We long to be able to, to, to follow him wholeheartedly and not be, not be held back or restricted by this tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is so rooted in, in the whole of humanity that we're driven to do the right thing and driven to try not to do the wrong thing. And yet there's this promise that one day we will have a new heart, a new spirit, that will cause us to walk in his ways. Now, the problem is because the the wrong tree, let's just call it the wrong tree for the sake of repeating its full title, the wrong tree is so rooted in us, we're not able to correctly determine, you know, what is what is right, what is wrong. And because it's it's based we end up with it being based on the corrupted wisdom of Satan. And so what the father did is really as an act of grace and an act of mercy, you know, for his people way back in the Old Testament, he gave he gave them the law. Now, the law, when it was initially given through Moses, was a relational framework of how his people could live. You know, we call them the Ten Commandments. And, you know, maybe that's not a very helpful title because it's it's got you know, commandment, you must do it sort of thing. But actually it was a relational expression of how the father, well, it was a relational expression of, of the father's nature, personality and character. You know, uh, do not murder, for example. You know, it's like God is saying to his people, there is nothing in me that would want to take someone else's life. And if you want to be like me, then you won't want to commit murder either. You know, do not commit adultery. You know, there's nothing in me, says the Father, that wants to have wrong, polluted relationships. If you want to be like me, then don't commit adultery. And you can go through all of those laws and it's a relational expression of what the Father's like. And he's saying, look, hey guys, if, you want, if you're really my people, if you want to be like me, 
then you won't want to do these things. It's not a case of thou shalt not. It's, it's, it's much more a case of, you know, there will be nothing in your heart that wants to do all of those things because you want to walk in relationship with me. See, that's what the law was originally intended to be. And when Moses has that encounter with the father in, in Exodus 34, he says, he says, show me your glory. And what he's really asking the Lord for is, is, is basically show me what you're like. Show me your, your nature. And we read that the father passes in front of him and reveals himself, you know, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, loving, faithful, forgiving. You see, that's the nature of the father. And so the, the law was given to show us how we could have that intimate relationship with the father. But by the time the Pharisees came along, they they applied, they began to apply the law using corrupted wisdom. And so they made up a whole system of rules. To, and probably when they did it initially, their intentions were good. You know, they, they thought, well, actually, the law needs clarifying. So let's add a few extra things so we can really help the people, you know, walk in relationship with God. But... It got twisted, it got polluted because it was based on corrupted wisdom and it ended up being a life of religion, duty and performance. And it was never, it got twisted out of all proportion so it became something that the father never intended it to be. And it was a subtle um, attack by the enemy to stop people living from the tree of life and taking them right back up the wrong tree. But Paul really gets a clear revelation of, of, of this whole thing and he writes it for us very, very clearly in Romans chapter 7 where he really kind of tells us uh, and puts into words, if you like, the struggle we all have with the law, the law of Moses. And so I want to look at that in a little bit of detail, because what we've got in, in, in Romans chapter 7 are actually, Paul is describing to us how three different laws work. And we're going to look at those in, in detail. First of all, the first law is the law of, of Moses, you know, which we've just talked about. And what Paul says very, very clearly in Romans chapter 7 uh, is that the law is not sinful. <laughs> you know, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? You know, I guess that's probably a question many, many people were asking. You know, if the law is bad, is it is it sin? And Paul says, no, certainly not. Uh, but then he goes on to say, nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. Because the, the, the law, because of its clarity, it exposes the opposite, which is, is sin. So Paul is trying to help us to see the struggle that goes on inside of all of our hearts and the struggle that we kind of have to get through to really help us live 
from the law of the spirit of life, the downward flow of life from heaven, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But, you know, he, he addresses this question, is, is the law sin? No, certainly not. You know, is, is the law um, unholy? And again, in verse 12, he clarifies, very, very clear. He says, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. So, you know, the law is not sinful. The law is holy. And then again in, in verse 14 of chapter 7, we know that the law is spiritual. Yeah, and when Paul paints this picture, you can see uh, how he recognises it as being a good thing if it's applied from the heavenly wisdom where you know we want where we're desiring relationship with the father but he's highlighting and he goes on to highlight in in a little in, in a moment the struggle we have because we we come at the law of moses uh out of the corrupted wisdom of satan but it's really important for us to understand that the law is not sinful the law is holy and the law is spiritual and then he, Paul says, and this is Paul talking, you know, um, you know, the great apostle Paul, who we often put on a pedestal. And I, I really think that Paul would not put himself on a pedestal. But, you know, we kind of have this impression of Paul, the great guy. Um, but he, you know, he recognizes all these things about the law. But he says, despite it being good, we can't keep it. And then he describes the struggle that I think we all face. You know, if we're really honest with ourselves, this is the struggle that that um, hits us all. So it's in Romans chapter seven, verse 15. And I love Paul's honesty with this because it actually is his honesty really helps us to be honest about ourselves. So Paul writes this um, he says I do not understand what I do you know how many of us can identify with that you know I don't understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do but what I hate I do and you know if we are really honest with ourselves we identify with that maybe several times a day you know we know what we want to do we know what our heart longs to do but somehow as much as we long to do that we just can't do it and we end up doing what we hate doing or what we would never want to do and Paul is saying this is the struggle of his heart and just as it's the struggle of his heart it's actually the struggle of our hearts as well you know, I don't understand this, he says. For what I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself who does it, but it's sin living in me. You see, Paul highlights something there that's really, really important for us, that this struggle that we all face is basically the struggle of sin working in our life. And it's the outworking of sin in our life that prevents us doing what we want to do. It prevents us doing the longing and desires of our heart. And it traps us in this place where we end up doing what we really don't want to do. And Paul gives this a name. 
in Romans chapter 7, he calls it the law of sin and death. And what seems to happen is that the law of sin and death in our hearts is so strong that it overrides our desire to, you know, really try and keep that relational framework that was given to God's people through Moses. You know, that this law of sin and death is so rooted in our lives that it kind of ends up taking precedence. And that's why Paul says, I know what I want to do, but I can't do it. And I know what I don't want to do. And I end up doing it. And he says in Romans chapter seven, this is the effect of the law of sin and death. Yeah, and Peter, the apostle Peter, he recognized this as well. At the council in Jerusalem, they were, they got all the, the leaders together and they were having a discussion about what it meant to be a Christian. And with all these Gentiles getting born again, you know, how should the Gentiles behave um, when they become Christians, become part of the church? You know, because they're not the Jews, they don't have to follow the Jewish way of life. But, you know, how does it all work? So they have this meeting to try and thrash it all out. And Peter really nails it. Yeah. And, you know, this is one of the moments when Peter opens his mouth and actually says something that's bang on. And in, we read it in Acts chapter 15, verse 10. Peter says, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. Yeah. He absolutely gets it bang on. You know, hey guys, why are we trying to make these other people do something that we can't do ourselves? You know, we're God's chosen people. We're God's chosen nation. We've got all of our history and everything else and we cannot do it. Yeah, and if we cannot do it, how on earth are we supposed to expect these other people to do it? You know, and he really nails it and basically says, guys, it's not about keeping the law. There has to be another way. And Paul shows us that other way when at the beginning of chapter eight of Romans. You know, he's been through chapter seven and he's told us that the law is spiritual, the law is holy, the law is good, but we can't keep it because there's this strong force of the law of sin and death working in our hearts. And Paul says, yes, we've got the law of Moses, which is good, holy, spiritual, etc. But we've got the law of sin and death that's working in us. But thanks be to God, he says, thanks be to God. It's like he's seeing another way. You know, saying, hey, guys, you've been trapped in Romans chapter seven. <laughs> but I've got some good news for you. Romans chapter eight is coming. And he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, the, the struggle we have is with the law of sin and death. It keeps us away. It actually keeps us away from what was prophesied by Ezekiel of having that new heart, that new spirit in us that motivates us or causes us to walk in his ways. But the law of sin and death stops that and Paul says, hang on guys, that's not how it is. There's this third law called the law of the spirit of life 
in Christ Jesus that sets us free. This third law, the law of the spirit of life, overrides and overrules the struggle we have with the law of sin and death. And it enables us to live from that new heart, that new spirit, and brings us back into that relational way of walking with the Father. Because that's how we are intended to walk. It restores us back into our true identity. Yes, even though we've been Christians maybe for many years, we may have lived as orphans or slaves. But Paul says, no, guys, you don't have to live like that. You can live by the power of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And what is basically highlighting there is, guys, you don't have to live by the wrong tree. But you can live from the downward flow of life from heaven where this life comes into you and transforms you. And he says it's not about doing the right thing or not doing the wrong thing, but it's about living by the spirit inside of us, motivated, controlled, governed by the Holy Spirit to walk in his ways. See, the law of Moses was a relational framework to help the people walk in God's ways, but they couldn't do it. And Paul says we can do it because we've got the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit is sonship that causes us to cry, Abba. And when that spirit of life comes in us, we're motivated to walk in his ways. And that's when we begin to live from the downward flow of life into our hearts. This is what Paul prays in Ephesians about the eyes of our heart being opened. You know, in the garden, we looked at it last week when Adam and his wife took the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that it says their eyes were opened. And we talked about what eyes they were and identified it as being the eyes of our mind. And when the eyes of our mind began to be opened, the eyes of our heart began to close down. And Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation to get to know who God is. And that the eyes of our heart would be opened so that we would know the hope of our calling. So that we could live from this downward flow of life. And Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 10, the thief only comes to steal kill and destroy but I've come that you might have life and have it in all abundance and so that brings me to how we can begin to live from the tree of life and the effect this downward flow of life has in us and I want to go back to Ezekiel and look at a couple of passages in Ezekiel the first one is um, Ezekiel um 43 and the first few verses um ezekiel is taken by an angel um back to the gate of the city and he sees the glory of god coming from the east his voice like the roar of a rushing waters the land was radiant with his glory and the vision ezekiel sees was like the vision he'd seen earlier and he felt he falls face down and the glory of the Lord entered the temple and the spirit of God lifts Ezekiel up and brings him into the temple and he has an encounter with the presence of God. 
says this story that I want to look at in Ezekiel starts here in Ezekiel chapter 43 with him being taken into the temple where he can experience the full measure of the presence of God and that must have been amazing probably overwhelming but just an incredible encounter and what we we read as we read through Ezekiel and we uh, and we'll be very familiar with this passage is um is out from the temple flows a river and this river flows from the temple and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and we read that in Ezekiel 47 and this will be very very familiar for us but this is a story of where Ezekiel is is standing um, by the river so he's come out of the temple he's come out of the city and he's standing by the river and he goes in it up to his ankles up to his knees up to his waist and then he ends up getting into this river and it's it's so deep that he, he can't stand he would have to swim and um, what then happens I find really interesting is he he does not swim he doesn't swim in the river but the angel leads him out of the river back to the bank and you know I find that amazing that he sees this this source of life this river flowing from the temple and he sees it's it's a huge river it's too it's too big it's too deep to to walk across he'd have to swim but the angel kind of says to him you can see how immense this is you can see how big this is now come on now you've seen how big this river is come out um back to the bank and he sees when he gets back on the bank Ezekiel sees that on the bank of this river there are many trees and the source of life for those trees is the water that flows from the temple and Ezekiel sees these trees are very healthy and producing a lot of fruit and he sees and he prophesies that the fruit of the trees brings healing to the nations. Now, I'm, I'm, I want to make a statement which I'm going to justify in a, in a couple of minutes. But I believe when Ezekiel sees those trees on the riverbank, he's talking about us. He's talking about us being fruitful trees that the fruit that we produce in our lives will bring healing to the nations now i see that as the fulfillment of the promise given to abraham when god said to abraham way way back at the beginning of the story you know your descendants will be like sands on the seashore and i as your inheritance i will bring nations to you it's like the nations were Abraham's inheritance and we receive, the, as sons and daughters, we receive the inheritance that was given to Abraham. And therefore, our inheritance is to take healing and life to the nations. So Ezekiel sees these trees, he sees them being fruitful, he sees the nations of the world being impacted by the fruit of this tree. But the point I want to make is the trees get their life from the living water, the river of life that flows from the temple. 
And Jesus said on a couple of occasions in John's gospel, he said, come to me and drink. If you're thirsty, have a drink. He said it to the woman at the well in Samaria, John chapter four. He said it again in John chapter seven when he went to the festival. And on the last day, he said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so the invitation for all of us is to come and drink from this abundant source of life. You know, if you're thirsty, come. And I just want to encourage you today that if you're thirsty, come. <laughs> if you're thirsty, come. Come and drink from this river of life that flows from the source, the presence of God itself, himself. And allow that life. You see, Jesus said, just take a drink. And it will become in you streams of living water. See, we take a drink. And he increases it to become a stream of living water that flows from us. And that's the prophetic picture that Ezekiel sees. And maybe I'm going to be a little bit provocative with what I say. But this man, Ezekiel, did not swim in the river. You know, he got in, he saw it was too deep to swim in and he got out and then he sees the trees. And we often get caught up a little bit with swimming in the river and la-di-da. But actually Ezekiel did not swim in the river. He got out, he sees trees that are taking healing to the nations. And I believe that's a prophetic picture for us that when we drink life, when we receive life, when we live in this downward flow of life from heaven, we become the source of healing for the nations. And that's why I think this is so exciting. Because it's not about struggling with that wretched wrong tree. But it's about coming to the source of life and drinking life. And Jesus said, just have a little bit and it'll be, it will grow in you and become a stream flowing out from you. And it will, it will take life to the nations because that's our inheritance as sons and daughters. And let me just let me just justify this for you from scripture for a few moments, because I think it's really important that you see this. You know, John chapter 15, verse five, Jesus says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, you will produce much fruit. See, it's all about being part of a tree, part of a branch grafted into the vine, drinking, bearing fruit. Again, John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. See, Jesus says if you're connected to the source of life. And Paul prays that, doesn't he, in Ephesians chapter 3. That we would be rooted and grounded in love. And that love would become the source of all our energy. The source of all our life. And if we're rooted and grounded, if we're connected to him in relationship, we will go and bear fruit and we will be able to talk to the father and bring his kingdom, his will be done on earth through us. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, 
which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What a beautiful picture. You know, those who walk in his ways are like a tree drawing life from the river. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. And if you went through, you know, your Bible concordance, you would see many, many times when it talks about trees, it's a picture of us. It's talking about us. And so I believe as we remain in his love, John chapter 15, verse 9, as we remain in his love, we will become like trees by the side of the river of life. See, the point is not to be in the river, but it's to be planted alongside of it, drinking life from the river of life, bearing fruit and impacting the nations. And as we allow love to transform the core of who we are, we will have the strength, the inner strength, not our own strength, but the strength that comes from his spirit to let go of the wrong tree and to begin to live from the downward flow of life from heaven. And that's what transforms us. When we live from the downward flow of life, when our source of life is, is life itself, then we can take that life to a hurting, broken world. And that's why I find this so exciting, is that there is a source of life that we can live by, that we can be connected to, that we can drink from. And that life will transform us. But you see, we can only see this when the eyes of our heart are opened. When we are so transformed by the power of love that we see that our relationship with God is not a whole series of do's and don'ts, but it's a desire inside of us where we want to please him and do his will. You know, I think it's Psalm um, 40 says, you know, I delight to do your will, O Lord, my God. See, when that delight and that desire comes into us, because we know that in a core of our being we are so loved, we will be being caused or motivated to walk in his ways and we will begin to be controlled by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is in us. You know, we are in Christ, the hope of glory. And that's when we can bring healing to a broken world. Whole people, people that are healed, bring healing but broken people perpetuate brokenness and I want my heart to be healed I want to become whole so that I can bring healing to other people this is the lasting and abundant fruit that was promised by Jesus and it's what we've missed for so long 
the tree of life will be a blessing to the nations. It's the promise given to Abraham, which is fulfilled through us in our sonship. See, living in sonship produces the fruit of the spirit, which we read about in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. You know, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. See, when we are living in the spirit, when we live in the spirit of life, the consequence, the natural consequence will be that our lives produce the fruit of that spirit. It's not our fruit. We don't have to work hard to make it happen. It's the fruit of the spirit living in us. And this transformation comes once we know we're loved when we allow love to touch and change the the core of our being that we're motivated with a desire to please him when we recognize that the law of sin and death has been controlling us and keeping us up the wrong tree but when we recognize that there's a greater law at work the law of love the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that sets us free from condemnation and causes us and motivates us to walk in his ways we've looked at the passage in Ezekiel let's just have a quick look at the passage in Revelation Revelation 22 verses 1 and 2 the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. You see, it's the same picture that we, we saw in Ezekiel, with one, with one difference. In Ezekiel, there were trees, plural, down the banks of the river. In Revelation, there's one tree on both sides of the river producing fruit. And I believe what happens as we live in love, as we allow the Father to pour his love into our hearts, as we are soaked and transformed by the power of love, as Jesus said, we will become one. We will become one with one another. We will become united as brothers and sisters. And instead of being many trees down the banks of the river, we will become one tree that brings fruit for the healing of the nations. You see, to me, this passage in Revelation is quite clear that the tree of life is not Jesus. Because Jesus is on the throne with his father. The river, as in Ezekiel, the river flows from the throne of God. And in Revelation, it says it flows from the throne of God and the Lamb. And that river brings life to the tree, which takes healing to the nations. And so I believe that it's, it's a prophetic calling upon us as sons and daughters to allow our lives to be so transformed by the power of love that we step out from trying to do the right thing and not doing the wrong thing we 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 gradually become free of the law of sin and death and we begin to live 
according to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, when I put it like that, <laughs> it makes it sound like it's either one thing or the other, you know, and you swap one thing, the bad thing, and you get a good thing. <laughs> you know, like with so many things in life, this is the process. You know, this is a journey. You know, I wish it happened instantly, but it doesn't. You know, this is the journey as we live in love, as we're transformed by love. It's like we we transition from one thing to the other. And yes, we have good days and yes, we have bad days. And we have days when we feel we fail or we struggle. But we need to know in our hearts that we're rooted in love and we have a place called home. And we can come back to that place where we are governed by the law of the spirit of life in Christ. You see, it's not it would be nice if it was either or <laughs> but we all know that this is the struggle that we face and you know i think what i've seen in my life and what i've seen in so many people's lives is is gradually that wrong tree begins to diminish and more and more the downward flow of life from heaven the river of life transforms us so that we become trees planted by the water that can bring healing to the nations see it's 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 really the difference between being a slave or or being free you know, jesus says in john chapter 8 a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever paul says in galatians he says don't don't take up again the spirit of save slavery but remember that you're sons and you have the spirit of sonship in you that enables you to cry, Abba. We've been set free from the law of slavery and we've been brought into the glorious freedom of the sons of God. Sonship, when we live as sons and daughters, it enables us to receive our inheritance a father gives an inheritance to his children a master does not give the inheritance to his servants and the problem is is that our experience of and our reliance on the wrong tree has created this gap between us being redeemed or us becoming christians and us stepping into sonship. See, I think ideally, when someone becomes a Christian, they should meet Jesus, they should meet the Father, be filled with the Father's love and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, and if, if I ever lead anyone to the Lord, that's what I want to do. You know, there's three people you need to meet. You need to meet Jesus, you need to know the Father, and you need to be filled with the Spirit. And the problem is we've separated those. And certainly in my own life, my own testimony, as I met Jesus as a boy of 10, 10 years old, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit when I was 18. And I found the Father when I was 40. See, I don't believe that's the way it should be. And the, the problem is when, when we have that, when we have these encounters with the three persons of the Trinity at different times, what we end up doing is remaining a slave to the wrong tree. But if we had that encounter with all three persons of the Trinity, we would step much quicker <laughs> into the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which has set us free. 
because we would we would know that Jesus has saved us we would know that the father is loving us and we would know that the Holy Spirit is empowering us to walk in his ways um, and so you know sonship is this part of the jigsaw that enables us to walk as Jesus walked and to step into our inheritance Jeremiah three nineteen. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me before he says that you know how gladly will I treat you as sons and give you a pleasant land the most beautiful inheritance of any nation I thought you would call me father see God's heart as father is to give us the best inheritance of the nation of all the nations the, the best he's got the best for us but he only gives his inheritance to sons and daughters and that inheritance is for us it's for us to live in it's for us to breathe it's for us to draw life from but it's for us to take healing to the nations and so this for me is very very exciting this is what the father wants to do for us he wants us to draw life from heaven and to take that life to a broken hurting world and we begin to find and live in everything that has eluded us we find a fruitful life abundant and lasting that's what Paul sees you know at the end of Acts in Acts chapter 26 he says I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles I'm sending you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith you see Paul is saying when we are so transformed by love we will take this to other people and we will see people set free from the power of darkness. That was the prophetic declaration Jesus made at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4. When he read from Isaiah. You know the, the spirit of the Lord is on me to bring good news to the poor. To set the captives free. To open the eyes of the blind. And just as that is prophetic about Jesus' ministry. It's prophetic about our ministry as we live as sons and daughters. And so... You know, that's really where I want to finish. But I want to say just one more thing. When Ezekiel came out of the river, you remember he got into it and he, he didn't swim, but he came back to the bank. He, he then measured off the land for the various 12 tribes. And as he does so, he, he works his way back towards the city. And when he gets there, just want to read the last couple of verses of um, Ezekiel. Um, so he's, he's measured, he's, he's come out of the river, he's measured off all of the land and he's assigned it to all of the tribes and I'm uh, just trying, trying to find it. And here he, um, he goes back to the city where the river started in the temple and he says the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there see he goes back to the place of the Lord's presence and I believe just as Ezekiel went back to the source of the Lord's presence that's the best place for us to live 
that's the best place for us to be the Lord is there and I want to encourage you just as we finish this evening is yes the Lord is there find the source of his presence and let his presence bring you life so that you would produce abundant and lasting fruit that will affect the people around you now that's why I find this so exciting you know this is not the struggle of the wrong tree but this is the fruitful life of sons and daughters and I appreciate I realize our times just just run out I just like to pray um, before we finish just briefly Thank you, Jesus, that you came, that we would have life and life in all its fullness. And I pray, Father, that each one of us would taste of that life. That we truly would be like trees planted by the river, bearing fruit in season, bringing healing to the nations. Father, this broken, wounded world needs to be healed. This broken, wounded world needs an encounter with you. And so, Father, I just simply pray that we would become a people that are rooted and grounded in love and that your love becomes the very source of our life. And your love transforms us and that we can become healing people, healed people that bring healing. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you once again for joining me. Next week, Barry will be back and the two of us will be together on the webcast, sadly in different countries, but uh, that's, that's how it is. And look forward to seeing you all then. Thank you.